0: Deuteronomy chapter number 5, and we'll begin our reading in verse number 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter. "...nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out of thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commandeth thee to keep the Sabbath day." We continue today on our walk through the Ten Commandments. I know it's been some time in uh, December we took a break for a moment and preached on uh, Christ Uh, coming as Emmanuel God with us. But now we continue looking through the Ten Commandments. I notice that usually we've been reading through Exodus 20, but today I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter number 5 as it's restated here. the I aim to preach this biblically and graciously because I understand that this very commandment, the fourth commandment, is probably the most debated of all the ten commandments. There's varying different ideas of how we are to keep the fourth commandment or if we are to keep the fourth commandment or if it was done away with in Christ or if it is changed in the new covenant or if it's the same. There's so many different... Ideas. uh, that This one took two sermons. Last time we considered a few things. Um, We looked last time we were in this to four different parts of this. The creation of the Sabbath. The command of the Sabbath. The covenant administrations of the Sabbath. And the culmination of the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, when Moses was given the law by God the commandment is tied back to creation. And the Sabbath was not a new commandment under Moses, but simply reasserted from its institution at creation. God created, and then on the seventh day He rested. And as such, it was not specific to the people of Israel alone, But since it was instituted in Adam, it is given to all of Adam's race as are other creation ordinances or the moral law of God. So it doesn't make sense that we go through three laws that God has said not to do these things or to do these things. And then we get to the fourth one it's done away with. And we aim to look at that. That it found its beginning in creation. Remember what Paul said that the Gentiles who are without the law, when they break the law, they're guilty because God is putting a conscience in their heart. They have a consciousness. The law is written on their heart. They know right from wrong in a sense. Now it's more clearly given in the book, the Bible, the moral law, but it is a creation ordinance. The fact that it is a moral law means the command is to be kept. Remember the Sabbath. He says, you must endeavor to keep it holy. In other words, this is not something that will just passively or accidentally happen. As such, None of these accidentally happen. You don't accidentally live a life in a way that is in obedience to God because we are by nature sinners. And by nature, we want to do with our lives what we want to do. We don't want authority. We don't want someone to tell us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. And so, we must remember the Sabbath. Then we saw the positive and moral aspects of the law. Morally, there is one day in seven in which it is to be sanctified, set apart, kept holy unto the Lord. That It is not like the other six days. It's supposed to be different. It's a different day. That's the moral aspect, that there's a day set apart in seven that we're to worship God and our mind and our life and our heart is to be fixed and focused upon the worship of God. The positive aspect of that is the manner in which it is to be kept. The manner in which it was observed and the day upon which it was observed. It is not... Okay, to do away with the one in seven and say, okay, this commandment's no longer. Throw it out. We no longer have a day in seven where we come together and we worship God. We all now have seven days that are all the same. Now, before I go any further, that's not to say that we only worship God on this day. We worship God every day, but this day specifically is a day set apart for specifically Him. We rest from the secular and we rest in the sacred, and we give ourselves to the worship of God. And it is a breaking and a violation of this law to say all days are the same and to make no difference. What is not a breaking of this law is to change a change of the manner in which it's observed, or to change the day upon which it's observed. Because that's the positive aspect. We looked at that last time. In the Old Covenant observance, the seventh day work and secular thought was to be abstained from. In the New Covenant, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their legalistic false observance of the Sabbath. They added to what God had said in order to make themselves appear more holy. And Jesus in His ministry aimed to restore the Proper Sabbath keeping. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath, but in fact, he kept the Sabbath. And he said he was Lord of the Sabbath. And he surely didn't abolish it, he protected it. He rises on the first day of the week, he meets with his disciples, the church on the first day of the week, in a special way, twice in a row. Pentecost, which is the day that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. That happened on what day? The first day of the week. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Corinthians were told by Paul, when you gather at the first day of the week, Take up your collection then. Why? That was the day when they met together to observe the Lord's Day. The early church fathers wrote of the Lord's Day and it was commonly understood that they were speaking of this first day of the week when the saints met to worship, when there was the observance of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Finally, we looked at how the Sabbath points to that eternal day of rest. In Hebrews, where it says, there remaineth a rest to the children of God, to the people of God. Of course, when we rest on the Sabbath, we are worshiping and we're looking back to what Christ has done, and yet at the same time, looking forward to what yet is to come, where we shall be with Him at that eternal day, and we shall rest with Him forever. We spend a lot of time considering these things, whether we ought to even keep the Sabbath, and why, and saw in the scriptures that we must keep the Sabbath. To those who make the objection, well, all days are the Lord's. I'd agree with you; all days are the Lord's, just the same as all meals are the Lord's, and to be are to be prayed for, and to be given in thanksgiving. But the same word here used for Lord's Day is the same word used in Lord's Supper. It belongs to the Lord in a special way that other meals do not. No one would argue that the Lord's Supper is a casual, willy-nilly, let's just get together and eat. Well, then we shouldn't argue that the Lord's Day is just the same as Saturday, Monday, you know, etc. So the Lord's Day is different. But let us now consider this holy day. Before I continue, there was something I said in the sermon last time that I do need to make clarification on. My aim last time was to set up the grounds that we must keep the Sabbath and and ran out of time really to go on further about how to keep and I said something, I said that the only thing that changed was the day. That was in regards to time. Of course, we're going to look now at how observance of the Sabbath now is different in the New Covenant administration. Uh, but what has changed is not that, it's not that we don't have a day of worship now for the Lord and we don't have a day of rest. No, that, that remains... But the day, the timing, the time that we observe this has changed to the first day, the Lord's Day, commonly called. I want to consider three things as we look through this. We're going to look at the preparation of the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, the practice, and the purpose. The preparation, the practice, and the purpose. And we look here in our text at Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 5 as we begin with the preparation. The Bible says keep the Sabbath. This word keep comes from the Hebrew word that means to hedge about as with thorns. That is, guard, generally to protect, attend to, take heed, observe, regard. And so if this is something that must be guarded about with thorns, put a hedge about, protected, take, taken heed to, observed, regarded as different from other days, there then must be some kind of preparation given by the people of God if we're going to keep the Sabbath. Well, how do we do this? Not Passively. Not accidentally. You don't wake up on the Lord's Day after living like the devil Monday through Saturday and staying up all night long on Saturday doing who knows what and then wake up and say, oh, it's the Lord's Day. Now I'm going to keep it holy. No. Very practically, you must put forth some kind of effort. You must do something in order to keep the day holy. In fact, in the world in which we live, there's uh, the common feeling that you're too busy. You're too busy for this. You're too busy for that. Everything's fighting for your attention. Your job. Your friends. Your family. Your hobbies. Your school, etc. None of these things inherently evil in and of themselves. But you have to spend your time for any one of them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't mean that this day is the only day that we worship the Lord, but it is the day set apart for solely worshiping God. And it is commanded by God to keep the Sabbath day. To sanctify it. What's this word? Sanctify. To sanctify. To set apart. To it, It's different. To keep it holy. Keep the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. Honor it. Regard it. To keep it holy. This is the case. You must make preparation to that end. Six days shalt thou labor. Look with me now. It says that six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. God didn't make man work because Adam fell. Man was created to work. The fall of man only made it difficult, but man was created to work, and he was created to work and get his work done in six days, and on the seventh was a rest day given as a gift by God whereby that person could rest from his labors and worship his Creator. The New Testament says that the man who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. Why is this? The lost by the light of nature know that they have to provide for their family. They know they have to provide for their kids and for their aging parents. The one who doesn't is worse than an infidel. Well, is it sinful then to work? No. But we ought to make preparation. What are those who say they struggle to provide? They say I struggle to provide. I I struggle to make ends meet. Friends, I've found that most of our financial struggling is not due that we need seven days to work. It's that we try to live above our means. Let me say this as generally as possible. That's not an excuse for skipping the worship of God. If you can't survive on six days of working, seven days is not going to be that golden ticket. It ain't going to cut it. You're not going to magically now have everything that you needed. No, in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will give you what you need. Again, the Bible says, I have been young and I have been old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor His seed begging bread. God is a good Father. God is a good Father, and He provides well for His own. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father provide for you? What a pitiful excuse it is to say that I can't, Set one day apart for God because I have dealt wickedly in my finances. I've dealt poorly. I've decided I can live above my means. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Six days, shout out labor. Do all thy work. Friends, if we're going to prepare, we need to start by making wise decisions with our budget. Friends, if you can't make it, you don't need it. Simple enough. I've made my list of foolish financial decisions. Something I'm not thankful for or proud about. Friends, if you can't buy it, you don't need it. If you can't make it to the Lord's Day service, you don't... It's pointless. Live in such a way financially that working on the Lord's Day doesn't even cross your mind. Not only this, you ought not to shop and, or you ought to not wait to shop until the Lord's day. Make preparations. Take the inventory. You've got six days to figure out you're running out of bread and toilet paper. You've got six days to figure out, "Hey, I need something to eat tomorrow and I don't have anything in the fridge. I better go to the store. There really aren't that many things that we consider emergencies that truly are. We have six days to buy and sell. We have six days to do our work. We have six days and then a seventh that you may worship. Where are you getting that from, Jackson? Why are you going off on buying stuff now? Listen to this. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thy ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. When you wait until Sunday and say, I forgot to go get my groceries, you're not allowing them to rest. I don't say that to be hateful or bitter. I say it because it's true. You say, well, they're going to be at the store anyways working. Let it not be our fault. It used to be in this country that we had an influence on the world and that they closed stores out of respect to Christians on the Lord's Day. And within the last 30 years, everything's open. Free house. is a free for all. One of the best financially grossing businesses for chicken, Chick-fil-A. They get all their done it's their stuff done in six days, what do you know? Yeah. Pitiful excuses we come up with. The list expands then uh, when a Christian eats out on Sunday. I've heard so many people say, I can't stand the church crowd that comes in and eats. They're the worst complainers and the worst tippers. That is true. How is it? How is it that people of God could go from worshiping God and then go out here and be such a bad influence to those that God has commanded for us to allow them to rest so that they too can worship God? If they're going to work, they're going to work and not make my money. That ought to be our desire. Furthermore, We want to be a good witness. Labor not, labor at not causing your fellow man to have to break the Sabbath. Let them rest that they might worship God. May rest as well as thou. Prepare your life around this glorious day. Not ever not this day around your life. Make preparations. You know you got to eat today. Prepare. You know you have to have a place to sleep. You know you have to have things. Prepare. Now, I, I know, I know, acts of mercy. It's not what I'm talking about right now. There are acts of mercy. There's legitimate acts of mercy. But those are the exception, not the rule. Policemen, Fire, EMS, some hospitals, things like that. I know there's exceptions. There are those that by force, those that have to deliver there's people that have to work and do acts of mercy. But they're the exception. But the exception. And what a witness it is to the lost when they ask you, Hey, do you want to go do such and such a thing on Sunday with me? And you say, No. It's the Lord's Day. I'll be worshiping God. You come with me. We'll go eat out Friday. What a witness that is that you care about the Lord's Day. You don't have to be a jerk for Jesus. I'm not telling you to be mean to people. But what a witness that is to say, I can't do that. My, my sovereign God that saved me, created me, loves me. I'm going and I'm going to worship Him. And when I get done at the Lord's Day service at church, I'm going home and my family's going to worship Him. And we're going to pray. and We're going to read the Bible. We're going to have a good old time in the Lord. Why don't you come with me? You want to go eat out? Come over to my house. Let's have a fellowship. I'll, I'll fix something for you. So we worship the Most High God. But sadly, oftentimes it's easier to excuse ourselves than it is to make preparation. You notice how a lot of these: "Thou shalt not kill," "Thou shalt not commit adultery," "Thou shalt not," you know, "Neither shalt thou steal," yada yada yada. One one little sentence. One little sentence. But look how much the Lord puts into keeping the Sabbath holy. I think it's important. My desire. Um, in, in raising my family and my children is that on the Lord's Day, I don't want Etzel to ask me, what are we doing today? But I want to present it to him that this is the most glorious day of the week. We get to worship God today. And I want them to see excitement in their mother and in their father and in their brothers and sisters at church. That, that, that comes with preparation. Well, that's a lot of physical preparation, but it's also spiritual. This isn't just a, another day where if we can check off the boxes, okay, I didn't eat out today, check. I didn't go to the grocery check. No, 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 no. That's part of the preparation. This is a spiritual day. We must prepare spiritually. Notice in verse 15, he makes a tie here to the fact that God brought them out by a strong hand, a mighty hand and a stretched out arm out of the bondage of Egypt. Therefore the Lord thy God commandeth thee to keep the Sabbath. He makes a tie here that because God is their Savior and because He has redeemed His people and brought them out of slavery, now you keep this day unto Me. So it's a spiritual day not just a day that they don't work and they don't go out and they don't do this and that and the other. No, this is a day to be overwhelmed with and consumed with worshiping God. Why? Because of what He's done for us. The Lord's Day worship is this glorious point at the end of your week as you spent Monday through Saturday in your home worshiping God in private devotion, in prayer, fasting, whatever it is. And this Lord's Day service is just the culmination of your our weeks coming together in the worship and praise of the Most High, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus talking to the woman at the well said that those that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. So it behooves us to prepare spiritually. One brother says it this way, to keep a short list of your sins before God. Uh, we shall never be sinless this side of eternity. We shall never be without sin. But we ought to be in that great pursuit of holiness. Uh, Jesus, uh, God tells His people, Be thou holiest, I am holy. Old Testament as well as the New. If you're cold, beg God to reveal sin to you. Lord, what is taking the joy of Thy salvation from me? Lord, reveal this to me and give me grace to repent. God, restore to me the joy of Thy great salvation that I may come together with the saints of God and worship. If you wake up in the morning bitter and angry and fussing and the whole drive to... Church is anger and bitterness and complaint. You've not prepared yourself spiritually. You ought to be filled with prayer. Bathe yourself in prayer Saturday, Sunday morning. Thomas Watson said it this way This day approaching we must in the morning dress and fit our souls for the receiving of the word. The people of Israel must wash their garments before the law was delivered to them, our hearts must be washed by prayer and repentance, the oracles of God being to be delivered to us. Preparation. Not just physically, but spiritually prepare yourself it means little and nothing to attend the service for lip service. Then again, you're just checking a box trick others all day long but God sees the heart. It's just like now okay Jackson said something about not going out to eat. I'm not going to eat in Henry County but go over to Weekly County and Jackson won't know. no this isn't about me this I don't have a personal grudge against restaurants. I'm telling you that this is the most glorious day of the week and we ought to spend our time wisely in the worship of God. And we ought to do it from the heart. A heart of love toward our Redeemer. Thank you, your jobs. Would you go to work totally unprepared? Carelessly? It happens sometimes. It doesn't typically end up very well. Then why would we go to the house of the Lord without any preparation? to be blindsided by the truth of God's Word and then not react. So we haven't prepared. Prepare before you practice. We've seen the Bible's very clear that we ought to prepare for this day. But, how is it to be practiced? Let's look at the practice. I will apologize ahead of time. I'm going to be looking at a bunch of different Scriptures. I typically like to stay in one place, but I'm We're preaching of the New Covenant administration, how we are to practice this. We're going to go a few places. See me after service. I will give you all the Scripture references that I used. For starters, in the Old Covenant, there was a central location where all had to go, the temple or the tabernacle. The very reason the northern kingdom never had a good king because they set up an idolatrous worship because they didn't want their people going to where God was to be worshipped. Switching sides. And They worshipped idols rather than in the place ordained by God. There are many ceremonies for this worship. If we were going over the Old Testament um, administration of this, then we would go over them. But, the Pentateuch does a very lovely job of telling you all you'll need to know on that. So, my apologies. I won't be spending time there, but... Read through there. I'll give you details if you'd like after service. I do want to look at John 4. John chapter number 4, verse number 19. The Bible says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, speaking of Jesus, this is after he told her all of her sins, that she had multiple husbands, the one she was with wasn't her husband. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's a Samaritan. He's a a Jew. The Jews said to worship over here where God had ordained. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ, when He His come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. The centralized location then is now in Christ done away with. There, We don't have to go over to Jerusalem. Those that worship Him will worship near and far in spirit and in truth in all of the Lord's churches not by images, not by idols, not by vain imagination of man, not by whatever we feel like we ought to do, but according to the Word of God which is truth and in spirit. Nor by the temporary provisions under the Old Covenant. Those ceremonial laws that the brother mentioned, those being done away with. This requires, as Jesus said, the love of God in heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no worship in spirit which is unattached from the heart. Neither is there truth that contradicts the spirit. What is passionate is not always true. And so we use wise biblical discernment. Our theology propels our doxology. In other words, what we believe propels how we worship. And that is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And this will be where we'll turn to a few different places if you like. I will borrow now for from the London Baptist Confession, chapter 22, paragraph 5. The reason being, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think they did a very good treatment of the Lord's Day worship. The text says that the reading of Scriptures, preaching and hearing of the Word of God Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's supper, and all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to Him with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgiving upon special occasions ought to be used in an holy and religious manner. How do we practice Lord's Day observance? Can we do as we please? No. If we had a license to do as we please, then we wouldn't worship God. We'd worship self. And so God in the Scriptures lays out how it is that He is to be worshiped. Uh, there are certain things that must take place from the call to worship to the benediction in order for us to be worshiping. First, the confession says that we must read Scripture. The reading of Scriptures. Well, where did they get that idea? First Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And so the reading of Scriptures is then commanded for our worship. We give attendance to reading, to exhortation. Doctrine. Where's our doctrine come from? Where's our exhortation come from? The Word of God. So we read the Word of God. We give attendance to reading. Notice the emphasis of this in our services that the Word of God has a center place. It wasn't just a good idea from Ken, but this is an element of our Lord's Day worship. It's one way in which we keep the observance of the Lord's Day holy. Secondly, preaching and hearing the Word of God. Second Timothy four two. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. Our service builds upward until it climaxes with the preaching and hearing of God's Word. This is a commanded element then of our Lord's Day worship, and that's the excellent. Exposition and proclamation of the Bible. This is required. We're all participating in this. It's not just me up here preaching, but we're participating. I'm preaching, and you respond in those amens, the amening in agreement. Thirdly, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Why do we sing psalms? Again, not just a good idea that we came up with, but a historical practice of Christianity. They have always been sung in the worship of God. They were written to be sung. In fact, hymns were the controversial part, not the psalms. It wasn't until a couple hundred years ago that we actually sang hymns in the service. Benjamin Keach led the march in a strong way to include this. It's his belief that corporate singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs was required by true or required to true gospel worship, both in the Lord's day and in private practice. Fourth, baptism in the Lord's Supper. He notice he says, Go ye therefore in Matthew twenty eight or nineteen and twenty, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And then 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till He come. Christ sends His church to make disciples, to baptize them. They come together and worship, and they partake of the Lord's Supper as instituted by Christ their King. Fifthly, we keep the Lord's day holy by occasional fasting. Not often taught and far less often observed. Albert Martin said, We express penitence when seeking the Lord in fasting. Our Lord Jesus taught fasting with authority. He said, When ye fast. As if it wasn't a question. It's not like, Are we going to? Is this something we do? No, he said, When ye fast. This fasting, while not commanded for every single Lord's day, is beneficial to the Christian. And all that we hungered for God as we hungered for our daily bread. Finally, we, last but not least, we come to God with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving upon special occasions ought to be used in a an holy and religious manner. Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2 say, "Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Verses 42 and 43. What is this? This is how we keep this day holy. We read the Bible. We sing praises. We sing the Psalms. We admonish one another and exhort one another And encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We come together. And when we could be talking about a million other things on this day. We come together. And we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Risen again and reigning for all eternity to one another. To the praise of the glory of God's grace. When we go home, our hearts and our minds, instead of complaining about the sermon, instead of complaining about what you didn't like today, we're coming together and taking what the preacher has said and we're looking deeper into the Scriptures and we're glorifying God for what it says. Time fails me to mention all the areas of worship. Tithes, offerings, prayer, pronouncement of benediction. There's various other things that happen on occasion the the uh, Church discipline, ordinations, etc. There's certain things that we do. So here's a brief look at the practice under the new covenant. But the Lord's day isn't just the Lord's hour. What's done in preparation for the corporate worship grows into the corporate worship, and we take it home, and it becomes the Lord's day. Where we leave with a heart heavy upon what we've heard. We follow through with that and follow up with it until we rest our head on our pillow. The whole day is the Lord's in a special way. We think often of someone's birthday and we try to make it the most special day for them. For for the kids, they get all excited. they got a birthday. We want to make that day special for them. And we don't just say happy birthday and walk out the door and we're leaving. No, this is a special day that we give to our kids. Hey, I, I love you happy birthday, and we'd spend time with them. we love on them. If we can do that for a human, how much more should every single Lord's Day we should be coming before our Creator, our Redeemer, our Sovereign, and saying, Lord, this is Your day. I love You. Thank You for loving me. Lord, let me worship You. Lord, greatly You are to be praised. Not just coming in here and bolting out the door after service is done. Friends, if this is all you get on the Lord's Day, you really just scratch the surface. What a beautiful day this is. Rather than going home, turn on the ball game, go home and crack open the Bible. Crack open the Psalms and sing them and praise the Lord. Get the catechism out. Turn off the hex box. Turn off the whatever it is and worship God. You don't believe me, try it out. Just try it out once and you'll see that it's the truth. Now I may leave off here and sound very legalistic and you may accuse me of such if I left right here. The Scripture doesn't end there. The Scripture doesn't end right here and I'm not going to either. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy. We see the practice Let's look at the purpose. We've seen the practice. We've seen the, we've seen the preparation. We've seen the practice, but it ends with a purpose. There is a a, a overwhelming purpose to all this. Do I want to bind your conscience with some kind of legalistic standard? No. Do I have a grudge against the movie theater and the the store and all this? No, I don't. Do I want to just rob you of fun? Because I sound like I'm just taking all the fun. I no. Do I want you to just follow this begrudgingly because I've said it? No. It's not that. Read with me in verse 15. Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. Remember, sinner, you were a servant to sin, you were a slave to bondage, you were headed to hell rightfully so. You were an enemy against God. You committed high treason against the God who created you. You broke his law, you broke his commandment. You did so proudly and arrogantly. You loved while you were doing it. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty and a, a hand and by a stretched out arm. Friend, when God brought you out It was through the fact that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, fulfilled the covenant of works, did everything that the Father commands, never sinning, never doing anything against God. He lived perfectly. He went to the cross of Calvary, and by a mighty and a stretched out arm, the Father crushed His Son on your behalf. And on the cross of Calvary, the wrath that you deserved was placed upon the darling Son, Jesus Christ. And you owe it to Him because of what He's done for you. To set aside time and say, Worthy is the risen Lamb. Worthy is Jehovah God of all of our praises. He is worthy. I'm not telling you this for any other reason, but that you might find your fullest joy in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again and is interceding at the right hand of the Father for His people Friends, I used to hate this. I used to be so angry when someone would tell me that you ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, you're just trying to come up with a bunch of laws. Oh, but friend, the blessed day that God showed me, this is a gift. Man was not created for the Sabbath, the Sabbath for the man. This is a gift. You're commanded to work. You're commanded to labor. You go through hard times and struggles and trials and tribulation. And the very God of heaven has given you a day to rest and to enjoy Him. This is true joy. This is true joy. All these other things are fun, there's pleasure in them. I'm not saying they're inherently wicked. But this is true joy that you might rest in He who died for you. Resting in anticipation for that eternal day of rest. Resting from the secular, resting in the sacred Lamb. Friend, this isn't to bind your conscience, this is to fill you with joy. He came that your joy might be full. There's no greater joy than knowing of who you are in Christ. And we have a day to come together and worship Him for that. And when we go out of here, it doesn't have to stop right here. When we go home with our families, we can still worship God. Amen. And we get to. And He's given us His Word that we could. This isn't binding. This is freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from your secular duties. Your civil duties. Freedom to rest in Christ. My prayer is that you would see this divine purpose and that your heart would be overjoyed and that you would never look at the Lord's Day as something you dread, but that it would be the culmination of your worship through the week. And you long to be with the people of God. And you long to sing His praises. And you long to worship. Go home. Sit around the table with your friends, with your family. Worship God. Crack open the Bible. Sing hymns together. You don't have to sing in key. Nobody's listening. Don't matter. You're not singing for people. You're singing with the audience of the Most High God. And He says sing with joy. Go home and sing. Bend the knee. Get well acquainted with your prayer closet. You know that Bible reading plan that you started back in January and now you've Fizzled out on a couple of days and you need you're getting behind this is a good day to catch back up and spend time reading but whatever you do don't waste such a great opportunity whatever you do don't waste this gift from God be thankful prepare consciously practice biblically and remember the glorious purpose remember this friend when the first when the sabbath was first given it was given in creation. When it was given again, it was given in redemption. In Christ, we're looking back and resting on the Lord's day and what He did 2,000 years ago and what He is doing right now and what He shall do one day on that eternal day where He is the light and He will be with us forever. Amen. The Lord's day is most glorious. It's not like other days. It's the Lord's in a special way. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thine ox nor thine ass nor any of thy cattle for thy, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day.